Listener Production. Hello, happy Monday. Sasha Barbagat with you for today's episode of The Briefing. There's no denying we couldn't get by without tradies. Sure, there are some horror stories, but the positives outweigh the negatives. They're responsible for ensuring we have power, water, plumbing, safe places to live and work. And let's be real, they can do the jobs we'd rather not have to. But recently, there seems to be a noticeable shortage of tradespeople, especially in our capital cities. It stems from a massive shortfall in apprentices. There are some who blame younger generations for being too soft or too lazy. But is that really the case? Trades have not got the greatest reputation. That's something that we need to see significantly turn around. We need to see more people encouraged to take on a trade. They're extremely important for the future of our country. That is today's deep dive coming up in the second half of the briefing. In the meantime, though, Bencion Siebert is here with the headlines. It's Monday, the 12th of February. G'day, Sasha. Well, Barnaby Joyce won't be at a scheduled Nationals Party meeting today following his bizarre planter box incident on Friday night. If you missed it, the MP was filmed lying on a public footpath and swearing while on the phone in Canberra just before midnight. He says that he fell off the planter box and that he's ashamed and embarrassed by the whole thing. Anthony Albanese, the Prime Minister, has called on the coalition to explain what happened. It's understood Joyce will meet with the opposition leader this week to discuss it. Both Peter Dutton and Joyce's wife, Vicky Campion, have admonished the person who filmed it, saying that someone should have helped him. Mm, Fair point, I suppose. But let's move on to actual policy. And it appears the Greens are preparing a fight over negative gearing and capital gains tax. Labor needs the support of the party to get its housing bill across the line. That would see the federal government share the equity of houses with first home home buyers. But the Greens are considering whether to pressure Labor to include changes to negative gearing and capital gains in its housing policy in order to get their support for the bill. So this could shape up to be quite interesting, Bencion. The Greens are making the point that Labor's changed its mind on stage three tax cuts. So why couldn't they change their mind on this? Uh, Negative gearing in particular is a pretty controversial policy. It allows investors to claim tax deductions on rental property losses. And basically the way the Greens see it is that that, along with capital gains, sees people who invest in property, therefore who maybe have a bit of an income coming from those properties are just able to keep going and going and going. And then it's pushing first home buyers who don't have anything behind them aside from some savings and hopefully a bank loan. Uh, It's pushing them out of the market and it's just making it impossible. And to explain capital gains for those who might not know what that is, basically it It's a discount and it halves the amount of tax paid by people who sell properties that have been owned for 12 months or more. So both of those things can have a really big impact on the housing market. The Greens look like they're ready to fight for it. But I should say Labor has said, nope, we're not making any changes. But they said that about stage three tax cuts. So... We'll see. This is true. I mean, I think Labor will be very anxious about going with the Greens on this. Uh, They lost two elections in a row with, I think, negative gearing and capital gains tax changes as part of their policies. So I think that although they may be willing to uh, go back on the stage three tax cuts, uh, I think they'll be a lot less uh, keen to go back on this one. 
Former US President Donald Trump says he would encourage Russia to attack any NATO countries that don't pay their bills as part of the NATO alliance. Speaking at a rally on the weekend, Trump said he's spoken to the leader of a NATO country who asked what would happen if they don't pay their bills. They asked me that question. One of the presidents of a big country stood up and said, well, sir, uh, if we don't pay and we're attacked by Russia, Will you protect us? I said, you didn't pay, you're delinquent. He said, yes, let's say that happened. No, I would not protect you. In fact, I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. You gotta pay, you gotta pay your bills. In response, NATO chief Jens Stoltenberg said any suggestion that allies will not defend each other undermines all of our security, putting soldiers from NATO countries at risk. And the White House has also responded. A spokesman said the former president was, quote, encouraging invasions of our closest allies by murderous regimes and also went on to label the comments appalling and unhinged. And we're just seeing this more and more now, Bencion, as the race for the White House heats up. In a speech to supporters in South Carolina at the weekend, Trump also promised to embark on the biggest migrant deportation program in US history. He promised to crack down on, quote, transgender insanity and cut funding for schools teaching about systemic racism in America. It feels like we're back in 2016 again. Absolutely. And just to explain, NATO is the alliance of European nations and the US. Uh, which says that if one of them is attacked, then all of them are going to respond. The only time it's been invoked as an alliance is after 9-11. So it's considered to be one of the most important alliances that there is in terms of preventing large state conflict. These comments are shocking from Donald Trump. No president of the United States has ever suggested that they would incite an enemy to attack American allies, although Trump has often boasted about how uh, well he gets on with Vladimir Putin, the Russian president. Uh, But I think the overwhelming reason why people find this scary is that if allies can't rely on the US for their security, then they may well try and find uh, security in China or in Russia. A new report has revealed up to a third of Aussie kids can't read properly. The Grattan Institute has released its Reading Guarantee Report, which found schools are persisting with a style of teaching favoured by universities that does not have the backing of science. It has an estimated cost to the economy of $40 billion. So the whole language approach, which is the teaching style that the Grattan Institute is criticising, emphasises student-led learning and claims reading is easy and natural. The researchers argue what that does is leave kids to guess the meaning of words as they're learning. Structured literacy should be the preferred method, according to the report, which involves the skill being broken down as phonics and the elements taught explicitly. And the 58th Super Bowl is on today with the Kansas City Chiefs taking on the San Francisco 49ers. 
Kickoff is at 10.30am Australian Eastern Daylight Saving Time, but if you just want to watch Usher's halftime show, then that gets underway around midday. And Aussie is playing this year, Mitch Wisnowski, who will line up for the 49ers after leaving his tradie job in Perth and pursuing a career in the NFL. If his team wins, he'll be the first Australian to play and win in a Super Bowl. And of course, a lot of eyes will be on Taylor Swift, who's dashed from her Tokyo Errors show to be in Las Vegas to watch boyfriend Travis Kelsey take to the field for the Chiefs. I'm pretty excited about this, Bensian. I... Purely for the halftime show, by the way. I couldn't care less about <laughs> the football. I'm a sports fan, right? But I don't know if you've ever sat and watched an NFL game. But as an Aussie, it's really hard to watch because I think we're so used to, like, fast-paced sport. We've got the AFL, we've got league, we've got union, we've got soccer. And it's go, go, go when everything's happening and the players are dead on their feet. Uh, when you watch the NFL... It's a lot of stopping and starting. They'll play for like 40 seconds and then stop for three minutes and they're all just kind of wandering around the field. I mean, to be fair, I don't really understand the rules. I know what a touchdown is, but <laughs> I really enjoy the halftime show. Uh, last year we watched uh, Rihanna here at Listener. We all got into the kitchen. We got nachos and we sat and watched Rihanna's halftime show and it was a lot of fun. And uh, apparently Usher's going to bring up Alicia Keys as a special guest. So... I'll be wow. watching that at the very least, yeah. Uh, either way, I hope you get to enjoy it. Bencion, maybe today's the day you watch your first NFL game. <laughs> um, I really don't think so, Sasha. I just don't think it's going to happen, but I'm sure it's very <laughs> enjoyable for other people. Um, I may well tune in for the halftime show. Excellent decision. Uh, thank you so much for being here for the headlines. That is all we have time for there. But we now are getting into today's deep dive on tradie shortages. Ask anyone in Australia who needs a light fixed, a door removed or a small reno and they'll tell you they can't even get a tradie to give them a quote. Concerns have been growing about not only a shortage of qualified tradies but also apprentices. The federal and state governments concede there are big housing shortages right across the country but their hands are tied in doing anything about it because there are simply not enough skilled tradespeople to address the problem. Then there's the claim from some that it's a generational thing. They claim Gen Z is too soft or too lazy to take up a trade. Advocates want more subsidies and investment to boost the workforce. But can that address issues put up by some young people getting into a trade who have reported toxic workplaces and even hazing? How did we get into this mess? And more importantly, how can we fix it? Liam O'Brien is Assistant Secretary at the ACTU and he's here to help answer those questions. Liam, thanks for joining us on the briefing. Look, what is your research telling you? Just how bad is this tradie shortage right now? Look, we've been in shortage for apprentices and trainees for some time now. Um, what we have seen is that just in the current, the previous year, I should say, in terms of the latest data, there were just over 377,000 apprentices and trainees um, in training. And that is slightly down on previous years. You know, we had just over 400,000 um, at the same time in 2022. But it sort of remains an improvement generally um, from where we were in terms of the last decade. So we are seeing some progress. There was a pretty significant COVID spike obviously, with some of the incentives that were put around training. And we are returning to a bit more of a normal, what might be considered a sort of normal rate, but it's still well below what we need in terms of meeting some of the skills shortages that we've got around the country. 
Mm, yeah, talk us through that. What trades are kind of seeing the most impact from existing and continuing shortages? Look, really, after a decade of neglect by the previous government, when it comes to vocational education training, we've got lots of occupations generally that are in shortage. Roughly around a third of all occupations are now in shortage. And that includes really all of our trades. So, you know, we've seen really pronounced shortages with electricians, especially with the demand that's now coming for electricians when it comes to some of the big projects that are happening, in particular, our efforts to transition to cleaner energies and renewables. So we know that, you know, recent report last year that showed we've got a massive shortage coming our way when it comes to electricians that is really going to impede our ability to deliver on cleaner energy. So I wouldn't say there's a specific trade to call out, although I've just called out electricians. It is something <laughs> that we're seeing across all trades and, as I said, many occupations. Look, taking up a trade used to be one of the most popular avenues for school leavers. In fact, many would finish in year 10 and go straight into a trade, start earning money. What's changed recently to see a shift in that trend? I think we'd probably say there there are three really distinct causes that are not necessarily deterring people just from taking on apprenticeships, but really impacting their ability to complete because it's actually not always just about the number that start, it's about the number that finish. Mm. And what we've really got is a problem when it comes to completion. So in some cases, you know, 50% of those that are starting their apprenticeship are not completing. And there are a range of factors to it, which I'll come to in a minute. But that's got to be one of the key areas to target for solutions. We can't just have an approach which is about pushing people into the front end of an apprenticeship. We've got to make sure that we're providing the support and everything to go into the back. But some of these issues affect both those that complete and indeed those that want to take on a trade. And I reckon if we talk about it as a sort of broad holistic thing, both those in terms of completions and those that are taking it on, I think we'd say there are really three key areas. First is the poor support that apprentices get. You know, federal government spends a lot of money providing support to apprentices. And in general, it's pretty poor. Um, There's about a few hundred million dollars that's spent on apprenticeship support. And in some cases, that might mean an apprentice gets a text message from their apprenticeship support network. So that's not really the sort of support that a new um, someone who's new to an industry, indeed a young person, maybe taking up their first job needs when they start work and they're trying to learn their trade. We say there really needs to be much stronger industry support in those workplaces. As we all know, like workplace experience is really critical to staying in any job, but in particular, if you're going to be, you know, setting yourself up for a career in a particular trade, you do want to make sure that those workplace experiences are positive. And what we hear from apprentices is that many apprentices don't have that support and in their workplace and they're not getting the training and supervision and the variety of work that they need to be able to continue with their trade. And I suppose the third area to really pick up on, and this affects not just those that are um, in that sort of completions basket, but those that want to take on a trade, is the relative low wages um, that workers experience when they undertake a trade. Yeah, absolutely. It's incredibly physical work. My husband's a qualified plumber and honestly, some days he comes home and I have to carry him through the front door because he's so exhausted. He's covered in dirt. And when he was an apprentice, you know, he wasn't getting paid very well to be digging trenches for sewers and things like that. I wanted to bring up the pay issue as well, which you've touched on just then. But, you know, 
the cost of living crisis has been going for the last couple of years. It's really ramped up recently. We're seeing tradie or apprentices get about halfway through their apprenticeship and then falling off. Do you think the cost of living is having an impact on that because they're finding they can't support themselves on an apprentice's wage? Absolutely. And I think, I mean, you're right, like this has been an ongoing issue for apprentices, but in the last few years with inflation, wages have not been keeping pace for any worker and they have been drastically low for apprentices. So if we think about that reality, that's definitely playing out when it comes to um, completions, but it's also playing on the minds of workers when they make decisions about whether they want to undertake a trade. I think people know that in the long term, the rewarding careers They provide stable incomes in many sectors, especially when potentially you've got good, secure jobs that flow from them. But you're right that, um, you know, trades have not got the greatest reputation. That's something that we need to see significantly turn around. We need to see more people encouraged to take on a trade. They're extremely important for the future of our country. I talked just before about clean energy. You know, if if there are young people out there that, like me and, and I'm sure you and others, that are committed to seeing us reach... Um, a more sustainable um, environment in relation to our climate, then um, the clean energy workforce needs electricians. We are desperate for electricians at the moment and we need to make sure that as many young people as possible are coming into those trades to help us um, get to that new pathway. Well, let's talk about then the solutions. So we know that we need to encourage more people to take up a trade. What are the steps to getting that happening and then what needs to continue happening so that people stay in the trade and earn a good living from it? When it comes to apprentices, as I said before, the support that's provided by Commonwealth funding in terms of apprenticeship support networks is not being targeted the way that it should. We know that workers need proper workplace and industry-based support during their training. This helps identify students who are at risk of withdrawal and addressing the issues that they might have, but also it provides people with a much more rewarding experience in the workplace that makes them want to continue on with it. We also need to see employers commit to improving apprentice experience in the workplace and providing a much greater commitment to training and supervision and a real meaningful commitment to building and welcoming and accepting that in the workplace. And as I said before, I think the third thing that that we have to address is wages. We cannot just have this acceptance that um, apprentice wages are going to remain low especially when apprentices are being presented with opportunities to go and take less skilled, possibly less physically demanding work, to your point, for significantly greater money. This is a a pretty simple supply and demand issue and we need to address it. Yeah, all those things you mentioned are great in theory, but how do we address that? It's one thing to want it, but is this regulation from government? Like, how do we get employers on board with paying more money? Does that mean the government needs to give more money to employers taking on apprentices so that, you know, that wage gap can narrow a little bit? I mean, how do we do it? The reality is is that we do think there is employer capacity to pay more. But I think you're right in saying that this needs to be a joined up approach. And it's not just about the wages, it's about the support as well. I think we need to think of the role that both unions and employer organisations play in supporting workers. We are the ones who understand the issues that workers are facing in workplaces and how do we connect workers and unions and employer organisations up to make sure that employer organisations are supporting those employers to make sure they are providing training and supervision, ensuring that those workplace experiences are good and that unions can also talk to young workers about how a rewarding career can be in one of those trades and sorts of um, things that workers should be on guard for and also about their rights. I think 
what, one, of the, one of the key features of apprentices is that more often than not, they are young workers. And so it's not just an issue about their first experience in a trade. It's their first experience of work. Mm. So understanding what your rights are. So we think there is a much more industry-based approach that is better for workers and also better for employers. I might have talked about uh, my partner coming home covered in mud and exhausted. However, he does find being a tradesman rewarding work. He gets to meet a lot of people. Now that he is fully qualified, the money is much better. What would your advice be to someone listening to this who is potentially looking at taking up a trade? How should they go about it and what should they be on the lookout for? Look, I think the first thing to do if you're considering a trade is head along to your local TAFE and and have a discussion with, um, with them about your interests and, um, and, and and sort of what's on offer. We've seen a massive boom in opportunities for young workers, in particular with the work of the Commonwealth Government's uh, fee-free TAFE, or indeed many of the states have done similar. So there is a big push to get young people into trades and, and into training. I think what we would say also is that um, it's not just about things like fee-free TAFE. We've got to see greater investment from government to help build capacity in TAFE in some states we are not able to meet the demand of young people. So we do, despite the significant skill shortage, we have some bottlenecks in our TAFE system, which means that even if everybody that we needed to come and fill those shortages wanted to, we don't have the capacity to train. So there are some other bottlenecks that we also need to address in terms of how we can quickly lift the the rate of apprenticeships being taken up and completed. But also I think we do need to look at some of those demand drivers about how do we encourage younger people to take on a trade as well. Liam O'Brien, it is obviously a pretty complex but also really important issue. I think sometimes we can take our tradies for granted and just how much they do, not only for us, but for our society in general. Like you said, with clean energy, uh, electricians are going to be in super high demand and we're only going to need more. Thank you so much for talking to us today and giving us your insights. Thanks very much. That was Liam O'Brien, ACTU Assistant Secretary. And that is all for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you check back the Savo at three for another episode. And remember, we would love for you to reach out to us and get in touch about anything you're feeling about the briefing at the moment, whether it's feedback or whether it's a great idea you have for a story. We want to hear from you. Best place to get in touch with us is on Instagram. Search the briefing. Give us a follow and send us a DM. And don't forget to join our brand new broadcast channel. I'm Sasha Barbagat. Thanks for listening. Listener.